a few weeks ago, Stephen asked me if I could read scripture, and I blindly said yes, and then he told me the passage. <laughs> it's a little sad, but he's promised me that there's hope. So that's what he's going to be speaking on. Job 10, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as a man's years that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver out of your hand, your hands fashioned and made me and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave? Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone that I may find a little cheer before I go. And I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Job, for that text for us. So if you know the story of Job at all, uh, this is Job chapter 10. Job chapter 1, his life is ruined. It's turned upside down. Hard things happen to him. Unspeakably difficult things happen to him. And Job is a long book. There's like 40 chapters in this thing. And if you've, if you've read through Job, uh, you're reading it and you're like, man, this is a really hard story. And uh, it's difficult. It's hard to read. And it's, and it's one of the, the places in the Bible where... Uh, if we didn't have it in the Bible, you may be able to look at the story of the scriptures and say, like, 
maybe people just don't go through hard things. Like, may, like maybe you see some hard stories here and there, but Job hits you directly in the face with, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is not fair. And life requires something of us that most of us probably, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe think we don't have the strength to get through when difficult things happen. And Job goes through probably harder things collectively than any of us will go through individually in our own life, which is why it's good for us to read it. Because then Job, and this is just one place in the 40 chapters, Job 10, that Sarah just read, where Job is just completely honest with how difficult it is to go through this. And he comes straight to God and he, he lashes out with some pretty honest statements here. I mean, the one that stuck out to me when Sarah just read a second ago was verse 18. Why did you bring me out from the womb? You know, and when hard things happen, when really difficult things happen in our life, maybe that's even something you thought. Why was I even born if this is the way it's going to be? This is how my life is going to go. Why, God, did you even bring me here? And certainly, why did you allow this stuff to happen? And that's why he concludes by saying, I'm living in a land of gloom, like thick darkness, like a deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick as darkness. I mean, he's in a dark place. He's in a dark place. So today's sermon is going to focus on what do we do when life feels like this? Not just in a moment even, but if you stretch it out across many years or decades even. Why is life like this and how do you get through it? So before I get into that, let me just give another little illustration. I'm going to use two different basketball coach illustrations today. One at the beginning, one at the end. So here's the first one. This is by a man named Jim Valvano. And on March 4th, 1993, he gave a really famous speech he was, the context of the speech is he is dying with cancer at the time he's giving the speech. And he's on a stage where he's been given an award and he's starting a foundation called the Jimmy V Fund, which helps fund cancer research. And you can see it today, it's still ongoing. But he gives a famous speech and he, this is one part of it. He says this, when people say to me, how do you get through life? Each day is the same thing, he says. He says, to me, there are three things we should do every day. And if we do this every day of your life, you're going to, you're going to have a wonderful life. Number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But if you laugh, you think, you cry... That's a full day. That's a heck of a day, he says. You could do that seven days a week and you're going to have a special life. And then later on in the speech, he gives this famous line, which maybe you've heard this one before. He says this, don't give up, don't ever give up. And that's what his speech has been made famous for, is it's the don't ever give up speech. He did die a few months later of cancer, but that was his lasting legacy was this speech. And so leaning into Jim Valvano's encouragement, we're going to talk today about perseverance. That's the theme of the sermon today. And again, last week I gave a little bit of the context of this whole series. We have one more sermon next week in this current series. But this whole series has been trying to paint a picture from 
the beginning to the end of what the Bible shows as the order of salvation. So you and I understand salvation to mean, you know, when you're saved from your sin through faith in Jesus. But how does that actually work out? And so beginning in September and finishing next week, we've gone from, you know, understanding the story of the Bible to what the good news is to being born again, to being justified, to being sanctified, you know, to having union with Christ. Before next week, when we get to the end of our salvation story, which is glorification, when we get to spend eternity with God in a glorified new creation, that's, that's the beautiful sermon next week, which will be awesome. Today, we got to talk about before we get there, in between our being saved and getting to heaven, life is about persevering. Even if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian, after you come to faith in Jesus, some of us are tricked into thinking that maybe life will get easier at that point, that maybe all of our life will feel happy and joyful. But the reality is, as many of you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, many of you have, it takes perseverance. It takes perseverance to stick it out, to continue believing, to continue pursuing a deeper life of faith. So how do we do that? Because Job is a follower of God. Job is someone who believed in God. He was a faithful follower of him. And if you read his full story, that's, that's why some of the harder things happened to him. Satan came to God and they had this really weird dialogue about God allowing Satan to tempt Job and to allow some of these difficult things to happen, which is a different sermon for another day. But the reality is part of why Job had such a hard time was because of his faith in God. And so for us, even today, how do we understand this for us? How do we persevere through our life, especially through the Christian life that can feel uniquely hard? How do we make it to the end? And just before I get into our three points, it just needs to be said that when you start to look for perseverance in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you'll see that the theme of perseverance is actually everywhere throughout the pages of the New Testament. It uses different words, so sometimes you do see the word persevere, but oftentimes you'll see words like remain, or continue, or be steadfast. And you know, one of the one of the only real takeaways I got from taking biblical Greek when I was in graduate school is that I was able to make one connection that kind of stuck with me from graduate school. You know, sometimes that happens. Like you spend all this time and money, you know, at school and then like one thing kind of sticks out that you're like, oh, I'm going to take that with me for a long time. This is maybe the one thing from seminary Greek class that stuck out to me. When you see words like remain, continue, steadfast, persevere in the New Testament, almost every single time it's from the same Greek root word. Which means if you were a, an ancient reader of this text during the time of Jesus or Paul, and you're reading this in the original Greek, it would read as the same word or the same root almost every time. Which means this is a really important theme. Continue on. Don't give up. Be steadfast. Persevere. Remain in me. Don't run away. Don't give up hope. Keep going. It's a huge New Testament theme after the resurrection of Jesus. So what I'd like to do today is give you three points. 
And um, like we've been doing the last several weeks, we read from Job, but I'm going to preach from this text in your bulletin from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. This just brings it a little bit more directly to us out of Job's story and into our ears today. So this is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Let me read this, and then I'll give you three um, points for you from it. (coughs) This is the Apostle Paul writing, after the resurrection of Jesus, to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you shall also shall be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. So the first point from I want to I take from this text is this. Keep going. How do you persevere in life? Just keep going. Verses 12 and 13, Paul essentially says that. As, you've always, as you have obeyed always, so now keep going. Much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the verse I want to focus on. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So again, mostly this sermon is for those, I'm, I'm going to preach this sermon as if you're on the other side of faith. As if you've put your faith in Jesus and now you're persevering through life. It's like, okay, I've committed to follow him. Now I'm going to, what does the rest of my life look like? How do I stick with it the rest of my life? Number one, keep going, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it's essentially asking the question, what do I do after I believe? You know, okay, I've I've been told how important it is to pray the sinner's prayer and to give my life to God and to trust Jesus that he died on the cross for my sin. I put my faith in him. Okay, I've done that. What do I do now? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just think about that word, work out. It's a pretty good modern word usage for us, work out. How many times are you pelted with the the, uh, encouragement to work out? I mean, think about your physical body, whether it's a commercial or a billboard or your own guilt sneaking into your life. I need to go to the gym. I need to work out. I need to get myself fit. And it's a great image, actually, for salvation and for your ongoing Christian life. Because uh, if you think about working out, it can't just be a one-time thing. You can't just go to the gym once and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. you got to keep going back. you got to work out your faith. you got to work out your, your fitness, however way you want to look at it. The word work out here, uh, you could translate it also produce or act or carry out. All these have the idea of of being active, continue on, move forward. Again, it's not a one-time thing. Just like if you want to train for 
a turkey trot next week, which I'm going to run a five-mile turkey trot next week. So if you want to have a, a comedic beginning to your Thanksgiving, you can come out to Salem and watch me labor on a cold Thursday morning. And you can watch, and if you want a graceful experience, you can watch my wife just breeze ahead and run beautifully through it. But I got to run this week so I don't completely embarrass and hurt myself next Thursday. In the Christian life, you can't just say, I believe, and then not do anything else with it. Because it's as foolish as just going to the gym once and thinking that it's done. You got to actually keep going. So salvation that's found in Jesus, like taking care of your body, is not a one-time thing. It must be an active, continual, growing thing. It's a lifelong process. Work out your salvation. You know, I... Again, talking about things that just stick out with you, you know, something that someone says or something you learned years ago. I'm sure you all have things like this that just stick with you. But I was, I was with someone, a Christian person, who I really respect and admire, like a, someone I really you know, enjoy learning from and someone who I think is a, a genuine believer. But I had this moment with this person a couple of years ago, and they, this person's in their 60s at, at the time and very smart, knows a lot about the Bible, has been a Christian leader in different churches and organizations, but he said something to me that just felt like a red flag. And he said to me, I don't really feel like I need to read much more about the Christian life or the Bible because I feel like I kind of know all that I need to know at this point. And it, I understand where he's coming from. He's like, I know the story. I've read the Bible cover to cover a couple of times. But he was like, I don't really feel like I need to keep doing it over and over. He's like, I kind of feel like I got what I got. And now I'm just kind of, he's retired. He's living out his life. And it just, it's one of those things like you have this check in your spirit. It's like, that just doesn't feel right. And that, that was a concerning moment. And again, I was, I'm 30 years younger than this person. I didn't really feel like I had the place to speak back at that moment. But I pray that someone else did to just slightly correct that and say, do you really feel like you've, you're all the way there? And it's just this point for us here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling continually. You know, the, the gospel story, the story of salvation for us really should be a bottomless treasure trove that you never get to the full bottom of. There should always be more and more treasure that you're finding that you can contribute to your own salvation story. So the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you were changed. I mean, the Bible is clear, like theologically speaking, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put my life in your hands. At that very moment, you are changed forever, like from one thing to the next. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible is very clear about what happens in that moment. That's, again, being born again, being justified by faith through his grace. All that's true. So you're not contributing to your salvation by working it out. But what you're doing is you're growing deeper and deeper into understanding that reality. And so, yes, you're changed in a moment, but you actually can contribute to the fruitfulness of your life, of, of the usefulness that it can be to a watching world. Will your, will your soul grow more and more mature and more steadfast? Or will you stay in kind of a baby-like Christian phase your whole life? And again, baby-like and childlike maybe is different. It's good to be childlike in the sense of growing and being curious and asking questions. And then 
you kind of naturally just turn into a mature person through those investigative process. But to remain baby-like, you know, drinking your milk and not progressing into real food, that's, that's where you get stuck. And the book of Hebrews actually uses that analogy. That's a biblical analogy. You know, in Hebrews 6, he says, it's time to move on from baby milk and move on to the more mature things, to the solid food of the faith. And so that's the encouragement for all of us. That's part of the persevering, is to just keep going. Don't think you've ever arrived. Keep going. Keep going deeper. Again, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have any more special knowledge than you do. I didn't arrive somewhere. I just got called to do this as my vocation, as to, to serve you. But each of us are, are persevering through this on our own. Just to go into that phrase a little bit more, work out your salvation, your own salvation. Um, the words, your own, this is important too. Like, this is your faith. So while, yes, we can contribute to serving one another and encouraging one another, ultimately, this is you. This is your soul, your heart, your life, your one-on-one relationship with the eternal creator of the universe who wants to have a relationship with you. It's your salvation, your own. So this means you need to take responsibility for your own Christian life. I can encourage you to read the Bible. I can encourage you to come to church. I can encourage you to pray. But ultimately, it's you. It's your working out. I can't make you run on the treadmill. And again, just to use that analogy, right? Like, you got to do it yourself. Your, your muscles will grow at the capacity to which you invest into it. And it's the same with your spiritual life. And then this phrase, with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Are you supposed to be afraid and cautious and looking around to see, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? Is that what this means? I don't, I don't take it that way. I take this more as, again, the moment you put your faith in Jesus and received salvation, when you were justified or born again, that was an immense gift to you. That was a precious, life-changing, transformative moment for you that is totally out of your control, that is mysterious, that is beautiful. And so you can't manipulate that. You can't, you can't affect that. And so therefore, in some sense, it's fear and trembling means, so keep moving forward, keep going deeper while acknowledging that this is way bigger than you. This is not something you can like get your hands on and grasp. And so it's almost like respect, respect the, how, the enormity of this process of growing in your faith. Like so much of this is out of, out of your hands, even though you're told to work out. Again, it's, again that, that's why the body image of like going to physically work out your body, that's why it's a great image because each of us can go to the gym and do the exact same workouts day by day and have two completely different bodies at the end of it, right? Because we're built differently. We have different experiences, different foods that we eat, different natural metabolisms. And the same is kind of true for our life. And so when I look at my life in comparison to Job's, it's like, well... All right, we both are loving the same God. We're both reading the same text. Why is my life so different than his? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a humbling reality to step back and realize that you're, you're pursuing a relationship with an enormous God, a creator God who's in control. And that's why we're encouraged there at the end of verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's doing 
more in you than you'll probably ever be able to fully discern or comprehend. And that's a scary thought. It's like, what is he doing in my life? Why is he allowing this to happen? But it's also a beautiful thought, a freeing thought of, why is he allowing this to happen? I don't know. But he's doing it for his good pleasure. And that's why, as a church, we continue to come back to the bedrock foundation of one of the most important things we can remind ourselves each week here is that God is a merciful God. He's a good God. He doesn't want to work for your harm. He wants to work for your good. But that, re- that requires you taking your hands off the wheel, even while pursuing things you can control. So I know this is kind of, these things can be hard to put together. How, how do you release control and take control at the same time? I don't know. But that's what we're told to do. Work out your salvation Control what you can, but do it with fear and trembling because it's God who's working in your life. He's merciful. He's gracious. That's the first big point. The second big point, verses 14 and 15, um, I just would summarize it this way. Watch out. As you continue to persevere and learn how to keep going in life, watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out where? Two things. Watch out, firstly, inside you, and then secondly, We'll get to this in a second. Watch out for things outside of you. So notice here, it says verse 14, so watch out for things inside of you. It says verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's the inside you. That's something you can control. So watch out for your own heart. As you continue on in your days, try not to grumble about things. Try not to Get in disputes with others about things so that, in verse 15, you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. So it's so easy to get sideways in life with things that are under your control, your attitude, the way that you interact uh, and the way you understand when things are coming at you, like the way you process difficult or challenging things. So um, casting blame on others, pointing fingers, turning cynical causing division, deflecting blame away from you, grumbling, just having a grumbling spirit. Again, this is all biblical stuff. Look at the, like upstairs for the children's time, they're probably talking about how when the people of God were led out of slavery from Egypt, they get into the wilderness, God has led them out of slavery. But it doesn't take long for them to turn into grumblers. They start complaining about the lack of food or about the lack of shelter. And God has to correct them, the grumbling spirit. But you and I are prone to do the same thing, to grumble our way through life and to not have a grateful spirit about us. It's very natural. It's a human natural reaction to grumble. Our heart and soul and character are all relational interactions with others. Those are, those are things that are under our control. You know, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things, everything. He's like, there's no excuse to grumble or to dispute with others. Even if, it, even if it's the most justifiable reason to get into an argument with somebody or to grumble, don't do it. Paul says, in all things, don't do it. That's... So I don't... It's an interesting question to know like, what my baseline even is these days. really hard to do. I mean, there's a lot of things to complain about. And that's going to take a lifetime to master not being a grumbler. But that's a, that's a practical thing you can take with you today. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to not grumble anymore. 
That's, that's something that if you give that to God and allow the Holy Spirit to work on your life, your work on your heart in that, that could really change practically your outview, outlook on life and your view of life. So those are the things you can control, but then there's also things outside of your control that you got to watch out for. And this is verse 15 where it says, you live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Crooked and twisted. Think about those two words, just like the shapes that come to your mind. You know, Things that are good are straight and connected. Things that are off are crooked and twisted. You know, they're not, they're not in the right shape. We need to recognize that we live in a, in a world where there's a lot of things outside of our control, in a society or a culture or a, a world where there's things that are broken because our world system is broken and they're a little bit wacky and they're different than maybe how each of us would like things to be. This ranges everything from government to the cultural moments or sways that the world has to decisions that are made that are outside of our control to the things that are accepted as normal that shouldn't be or even to things that are taught in schools or things that you hear that are you're just like that doesn't feel like that's right you're probably right it's crooked it's twisted and again this was written into a culture 2,000 years ago and so it's not like this is a new thing for us today. This is a consistent thing about a broken, sinful world. It's a crooked, and twisted generation. Those words crooked and twisted mean that means things can be unfair. And it also means that in terms of twisted, it means that we can be led astray or led away from good things. And so in the midst of that type of generation where there's things outside of your control that are twisting you or, or leading you into crooked paths, what do we do? I think this is, this is so amazing what Paul says next. So he says, we live in a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So in the midst of this wacky world that we've been born into, as believers in Jesus, we sit here, we walk around, we live our life and we shine. The beautiful thing about a light, a true light, is that it doesn't take really much effort at all. In fact, it takes no effort to shine. It just is. That's what a light does. A light shines. And if you're living in a twisted, crooked world, or in other places of the scripture, it's called a dark world. Remember the darkness that Job was feeling? It's like, this is all dark. This is gloomy. Well, yeah, but you're the light. You're the light that shines here. And so, yes, work out your salvation, but also take a step back and realize, again, this is out of your control, but you've been transformed into a shining light that just is. And so you are, you are blessing the world through you simply being you as a Christian. Because you're bringing light into the darkness. You're bringing straightness into the crookedness. You know, one of my, um, one of my favorite quotes I've heard from a pastor was, uh, you know, God can write straight with crooked pencils. And it's kind of using a couple of different metaphors here, but it's, you know, even us as sinful, broken people who have been redeemed by grace, God is doing beautiful things through us because we shine as lights in this world. So the last point, point number three, this is the concluding point, verse 16, um, the most practical takeaway of how to persevere 
through this hard world, through your difficult things that may come your way, inside, outside, all around you, the most important thing you can do is to hold fast. Hold fast. So again, picture yourself on a, on a boat in the middle of a storm. You got nothing to hold on to, so you just grab the mast and you're just holding on to it for dear life. Paul says, hold fast. But what are you holding fast to, spiritually speaking? Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. The word of life. Hold fast to the scriptures. Hold fast to the words of the Bible that are your, are your anchor. Are your, they are your steadiness in a topsy-turvy, wavy world where things come your way that are outside of your control. Hold on to the word of life. They are life to us. You know, other places in the scriptures bring this out. You know, one place particularly is uh, Jesus talking to his disciples. <coughs> and he's, this is in John chapter 6. And um, there's a time where many of the other disciples had turned and left. They said, we're giving up. We're, we're, we listened to Jesus for a little while. Again, this is John chapter 6. There's a lot of time after this. So it's pretty early on. But these disciples decide to leave. And um, Jesus turns to the, to the core 12 disciples and he looks at them and he says, do you guys want to go away as well? He says, do you want to give up on me? Do you want to, in a sense, stop persevering? Do you want to just go try, find something else, find another option, another rabbi, another religion, another way of life? Do you want to go away as well? And in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else would we go? And then he says this. You have the words of life. You, Jesus, you have the words of life. The things you're saying to us are the words of life. And Paul's using that same phrase here for us. Hold fast to the words of life. Hold fast to the sayings of Jesus, to the teachings of of the Savior, to the scriptures that are given for us for our benefit. This book is your guide through life when things get hard, when things get confusing, when you have big questions or doubts, return to the words of life and they will be comfort for your soul. John 1, 4, in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. So what makes you shine as lights in the world? You're gonna get brighter and brighter when you keep reading the words of life of the scripture here. They are your life. So as we finish, here's a couple of things then that would really hurt you to hold on to, that would make you want to give up. If you're holding on to these things, these are just quick things. These are things that would make it really easy to give up. Things that would make it impossible to persevere. Do not hold fast to your comfort. hold fast even to your safety, your physical well-being even. I mean, control what you can, but don't hold fast to it. Don't hold fast to your popularity, whether people like you or don't like you or are nice to you or not nice to you. It's out of your control. Don't hold fast to your feelings, what feels right, what feels, you know, warm and fuzzy to you. I mean, listen to them, but don't hold fast to them. Pay attention, but be on guard. Don't hold fast to your tenacious theological stances. 
I really think this is exactly the way this is supposed to be. Like, yes, have your convictions, but don't hold fast to them. You know, there's a there's this funny story or a, a sad funny story is a cartoon of a, a picture of one man in a cartoon, one man and God, and on the top it says heaven. And the guys, the, the man that in heaven asked God, he says, where's everybody else? And God responds back, well, all of them had slightly different theological interpretations. It's the saddest cartoon because it's implying that you have to get it exactly right and you were the only one that got it. No, there's slight differences. You gotta, don't hold fast to those things. Hold fast to the word of life, Jesus, and some of the core things around the gospel that we've been talking about. But some of these other things, don't hold fast to them. And the last thing, don't hold fast to your dream of a perfect life. Again, I'm a young person. Some of you all are young people. Some of you are older and a little bit wiser than me. Maybe not as naive as I am right now. But you kind of have, I have this dream in my mind where it's like, man, when I get to, to that day, life will be so good. Life will be perfect. I'll be financially stable. I'll have a, a beautiful home with no repairs. I'll, all my relationships will be ideal. Don't hold fast to that. Some of you all are wise enough to know that, that that's not coming. Let that go. Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder of YWAM, he just died recently. He says, put your dreams on the altar. They will be resurrected into something even grander. So here's my final story. This is the second basketball coach. This one is Bob Knight, who just died recently also. Here's a theme. Speaking of glorification next week, a couple of people who have just passed away. Bob Knight, famous basketball coach. There's a famous story of him. who was, He was teaching a gym class before he was a famous coach. And he, there's this story. It says, the first day of class, Coach Knight walked in, and the whole room could not take their eyes off him. He said, I'm going to teach you all all you need to know about coaching right now. And he found a kid in the middle of the room who did not appear to be in shape and asked him to run over to the door, jump as high as he could, and touch the top frame. So the kid came over, he ran up, he jumped, and he just barely nicked the top frame, like just barely got it. Coach Knight then pulled out a $20 bill, pinned it about three inches higher, and told the kid that if he could touch it, he could keep it. And of course, he jumped higher and touched it. And so Coach Knight explained that coaching is all about motivation. If you put something for people to shoot for or to aim for, to grab at, they'll grab it. And so what is that for the Christian life? What is that for the believers in Jesus in this room? What is that for those who want to persevere? I think it's what we're going to talk about next week, which is the hope of heaven, the hope of beauty, the hope of all this meaning something, the hope of glorification. When we are realized and when our bodies are made new and new creation comes and we're like, it was all worth it because I'm here now. So that's a teaser for next week. That's the $20 bill for us to jump for for next week. Let me close us in prayer and we'll finish with a, a final song. Heavenly Father, uh, would you give us the ability to hold fast? We need strength. We need 
eyes to see the prize. Uh, Help us to watch out for the things inside and outside us. Um, And we just pray that you would help us to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep having faith in you. Help us to be real and authentic about the hard things and bring them to community and to people around us that have gone through those things as well. We need the church. We need community of people to help us uh, when the going gets tough. But Lord, we just pray for a persevering spirit, persevering heart. Would you give that to us?